1982, the Irish rock band U2 released a song about the uh, violent conflict over Northern Ireland. The song makes direct reference to an event 10 years earlier when British paratroopers killed 14 Irish citizens at a civil rights protest march, an event known as Bloody Sunday. Now, that shooting, uh, for years and years, had fueled a lot of anger. And even though the U2 song had some fairly direct lines like, I won't heed the battle call, a lot of U2 fans had heard it as a protest against Britain more than a protest against violence. So for years and years, uh, lead singer Bono would introduce the song at concerts by saying, this is not a rebel song. This is Sunday Bloody Sunday. Well, this is not a giving sermon. You just heard our deacon read a passage that's probably very familiar to you. You know the story of the widow's mite. You've heard a lot of sermons about it, often right before a church launches a capital campaign or when the budget's a little tight at the end of the year. You've heard that God cares uh, not about the size of the gift, but the size of the sacrifice. Uh, and that's fine. That's, that's good. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a good reading. But this is not a sermon about the size uh, of your tithe. It's not a sermon about how we should be more like the widow. It's about what she's doing in the temple in the first place and why she only has two copper coins. Jesus is saying, sell all you have and give. Uh, that's, that's good. Jesus says that. Uh, but that is a different story. This story is the one where Jesus says over and over again, watch out. Watch out. Watch out for the teachers of the law. Tonight's gospel reading begins, so let's start there. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. In other words, watch out for preachers and teachers and other religious authorities. They want to look really important. They want people to be impressed. They, want, they think that the reward for their religiosity should be a little fame, a little honor, a little authority. They ask questions less to learn than to show how smart and powerful they are. They don't necessarily need to be, they don't necessarily need to be the people that, that make every decision, but by golly, they'd better be consulted. They're insecure. They're arrogant, think they deserve status because of all they're doing for the kingdom of God. And they think that their pride is something that they should probably work on, but that it's not really hurting anyone. But that's where the next verse comes in. Back to what Jesus says. They like to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And then Jesus goes over to the temple treasury in what's called the court of the women, and he says, there's a poor widow. She has no house. She has only two almost worthless coins, and she has just put them into the temple treasury. The story of the widow's gift isn't a story where Jesus decides to take his disciples on a field trip to the temple so he can show them how generous the poor widow is. Uh, he is already in the temple, and she's the real-life example of what Jesus has just told his disciples he's upset about. 
Jesus says, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. And he knows us. He knows his disciples. He knows it's too easy to hear they devour widows' houses and to keep it in some aggregated, abstract, bad things are happening in the world uh, idea. People are being abused and taken advantage of. Jesus, uh, Jesus knows that what we need is to actually see the widow. This poor widow, truly I tell you, he says, this poor widow gave more to the treasury than anyone else here because she put in all she had to live on. Now you can go through the commentaries and you won't find out what Jesus meant by they devour widows' houses. Uh, we don't know what specifically the scribes and the teachers of the law were doing that ate them out of house and home. But we do know what they were supposed to be doing. Deuteronomy spells it out directly, and uh, there's a lot there. Uh, I'm going to just paraphrase Deuteronomy 26 a little bit. Set aside a tenth of all you produce and give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then go pray. Tell God you did it because this is important, and you don't want to disobey this command or forget this command. God will provide enough for his people, but this is how his people are going to take care of the vulnerable. The teachers of the law, they knew this. The widow wasn't supposed to be giving to the temple treasury. The temple treasury is there to give to the widow. And not just the widows, generally speaking. This widow right here. Um... So we tend to leave out the beginning of the story where Jesus says, watch out. And we tend to leave out the next part of the story. The very next thing in the story is that Jesus gets up and leaves the temple. It's a, it's a big deal that Jesus leaves the temple, given the imagery in the rest of this uh, general story of Jesus at the temple. But what happens is that one of the disciples points to the temple and says, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings... Her two coins may not have made that much of a difference, but look, at least she's part of this literally awesome project that's bigger than herself. She's giving to the temple, the dwelling place of God on earth. And Jesus' response is to say, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Listen to what Jesus says. The religious leaders, they will be judged most severely. The temple will be destroyed. Judgment has come. And to understand what's happening here, we need to pull back even more and go back even beyond Jesus' warning about the, re the religious teachers and just see what the whole entry into Jerusalem and the temple, how that whole narrative goes. When Jesus was about to enter Jerusalem, if you want to back up, if you have a Bible, I mean, you can just hear, I'm going to summarize. But it starts in Mark 11, uh, just a few chapters before tonight's reading. He sees, a fig, he sees a fig tree. You probably know this story. There were no figs on the fig tree. And Jesus said to the tree, you will never bear fruit again. And then in the next verse, Jesus enters the temple courts, driving out the merchants and money changers. And he says, is it not written, my house will be called the house of prayer? 
for all nations, but you have made a den, a den of robbers. And then Peter noticed that the fig tree was dead. Jesus goes back into the temple, and the religious leaders say, who said you can throw all these merchants out? Who said you can do what you're doing? And Jesus knows it's not a real question. It's not one of those questions that people know, that people ask to, to, to learn. It's one of those questions they ask to show how smart and powerful they are. And they try a bunch of these kinds of questions. And in his responses, Jesus keeps asking the same question back at them. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? Are you not in error because you, do not, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? Don't you understand what David is saying about the Messiah in Psalm 110? Uh, there's, in the midst of, of this whole series of conflicts between Jesus and the religious leaders, there's, there's one story in the middle that, that's a little bit different. A teacher, a, a teacher in the law, a teacher of the law, starts actually being impressed with Jesus' answers. And dangerously enough, he asks a real question. Of all the commandments, which is the most important, he asks. And Jesus doesn't answer with a parable or another question. This time, Jesus actually answers the question. He says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that the man had answered wisely, says Mark, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the command that Jesus and Paul and James keep saying it. All of God's laws are summed up in that one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But God doesn't just care about the sum in general. He doesn't deal in vague generalities. He deals in specifics. When God revealed himself on Mount Sinai and revealed that first great commandment, serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, in the very next breath, he declares who he is. This is what he says. God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. That's the, like, one of the first things God says about himself. And, I mean, a lot of you guys know this. I'm not, this is not new information, but I want to just say it because it, it bears repeating that, like, it's hard to read much of Scripture without bumping into God caring about the widow. Uh, Psalm 68 tells us that when God is in his holy dwelling, so, like, picture Jesus in the temple, God in his holy dwelling. Psalm 68 says, he is, when, when God is in his, his holy dwelling, he is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. That's who he is. God, Jesus is revealing who he is. He can't be otherwise. Proverbs tells us, quote, the Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place, which is really important when you're talking about the destruction of the temple. In Deuteronomy, one of the things that the people of Israel are supposed to do when they cross the Jordan into the promised land is to gather together, and the Levites, the religious leaders, 
are supposed to, they're gathering everyone together, and the Levites shout, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And then all the people are supposed to shout back, amen. Exodus commands, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. And this is not, you know, overstatement. This is what happens in the year 70 AD when the Roman army invaded Jerusalem and destroyed both the city and the temple. God's long-promised curses came to pass. Those who took advantage of the widow and fatherless were killed with the sword. The house of the proud was torn down. Not one stone was left on another. Everyone was to be well, every, everyone was thrown down, every, every, every stone. Um, I've said this before. I, I, boy, I, do, I do not love preaching uh, judgment sermons, but I, this is not the first one I've done. And I know it's easy to hear about judgment and think about God being driven by anger. Um, God does not use the widow as an excuse to release his rage. When you hear God in Exodus warning about the consequence of taking advantage of the widow, hear Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, knowing about its impending destruction. Hear Jesus calling his disciples over to witness the widow, doing exactly what Exodus warned about. If you take advantage of the widow and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. And in this case, they've devoured her home, left her with only these two worthless coins, and now she is throwing herself completely at the mercy of God alone. She's saying, these, okay, I got two coins, and I will give them to God, and it, it's, up, it's only up to God to rescue me now, because I know that the temple leaders will do nothing to help me. And God's response to the widow is, I will certainly hear her cry. Now, part of the good news for the oppressed is that the Lord tears down the house of the proud. God judges, and the institutions that are, that, that are used to oppress will not stand up to the fire. There won't be stones left to remind us of them. And all of the people shout back, amen. That is like, that's what God says. He says, that's good news. But that, that's only a bit of the good news. And without the other part of the good news, it's, it's kind of sad good news. The real rest of the good news is that the Lord also sets the widow's boundary stones in place. And in the grand scheme of things, here's what we need to see. Jesus was a better temple and a true temple. And he was destroyed by the same powers and principalities that oppressed the widow. And more importantly, all that judgment and wrath and curse that comes when we oppress and break the other commandments, he took them on as the true representative of Israel and the true representative of humanity, and he took it on. In 70 AD, the temple of massive stones stayed destroyed, not one left upon another. But Jesus said, speaking of his body, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And that's exactly what he did. He broke the power of canceled sin. 
And then he made us the temple. We are now the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And that makes us the temple, which is great, and that's good news. And, of course, the reality is that the widows are still crying out, and teachers of the law still like to walk around and be greeted with respect even as they devour houses. We are still supposed to heed Jesus' call to watch out for the teachers of the law and to watch out on behalf of today's widows. A frustrating but ultimately beautiful reality is that as soon as the church got started, it had a problem with oppressing widows. Acts 6 says, quote, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 apostles called all the disciples together and said, Choose seven who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom to figure this out. And apparently they did figure it out. And, and then act, the next part of Acts says, So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the first part of that story, I, I find it just so true to my experience and also so heartbreaking. Like, really? As soon as the church receives the Holy Spirit, like as soon as this new community becomes the temple, they start overlooking widows. Like this thing that kind of God has put in front of all these other commands is like, here's how you know if you're really blowing it. Um, that's the first thing they, they do. Um, but that, <laughs> what is awesome about that story is that the widow's boundary stones are set in place by the church. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There's repentance, there's restoration. I thank God for that. And I am praying for the spirit of God to blow. And for a large number of priests today, a large number of pastors today, a large number of teachers of the law today, to become obedient to the faith because today's widows are truly crying out. Um, so one of the questions as I was working on the sermon, and I've been working on the sermon for a while, you know, who are today's widows? And I had a lot of notes on that, and I, I'll get there. But um, I just think, I think, I think we... Bible reading Christians, man, we like make that uh, we make that a metaphor real quick, um, and literal actual widows uh, still demand our attention. Uh, while losing a husband does not mean economic ruin and helplessness at the degree it did when the Bible was written, the church still needs Jesus to call us over and really see people who have lost a spouse. Uh, I'll never forget this article I worked on at Christianity 14 years ago uh, by Miriam Neff. Uh, really strong piece. And the piece cites studies showing that widows lose 75% of their friendship network when they lose a spouse. 60% experience serious health issues in the first year after their spouse's death. One third meet the criteria for clinical depression in the first month after their spouse's death, and half 
remain clinically depressed a year later. Most people after the death of a spouse experience significant financial decline. And pastors frequently say they have seen too many uh, widows move from the front row of the church to the back row of the church and then out the door. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. I don't, I don't know the ways in which we may be devouring actual widows' houses today, but I do know that the problem uh, at the temple uh, with the poor widow with the two coins was not that at that moment the church leaders were stealing from her. It was that the temple leaders did not see her in her distress. Only Jesus did. And I pray that God would help us see. God would help us see. But you know other people and other groups of people in the church today whose houses are being devoured. Um, And you may be one of them. And I want Jesus to help us watch out. Um, One clear way that just I have to deal with constantly in my role at Christianity today, but that we're having to deal with increasingly here in our community. You heard last week's sermon about a sexual abuse case in, in our extended church community. And, you know, I know that the problem is big. It's really big. And for those of you who have had to cry to the Lord because of religious leaders who have prayed on you, I want you to hear the word of the Lord saying, I will certainly hear their cry. These men will be punished most severely, even though it seems so often that they get away with it. Um, I want to be cautious. I don't want to speak for God. It does seem to me that maybe we are in a special moment of God tearing down many houses of the proud. I don't, I don't know what I would say about what's happening in, in our ACNA world, but every day at CT I have to deal with a situation like this and decide whether, whether or not we're going to pursue that as a, as a story. And there's a reckoning happening. And thank God. Uh, so that said, I don't know that it's always part of my call to help him tear down the houses of the proud. Boy, I know there's a lot of times I want to when I got to do a gut check and say, actually, I don't know that. I don't know that that's, it's my job to tear down this particular house. But I do know that as a disciple, Jesus has called us to watch out. That is Jesus' call to his disciples. Watch out for religious leaders who oppress or who cover up oppression with a lot of very spiritual talk and long-winded prayers. And I know that when Jesus told his disciples to watch out for teachers of the law, he did not point out a specific teacher of the law to watch out for. He didn't call them to rail against the enormous stones of the temple. He pointed to a specific victim that he wanted his disciples to see. And I just pray, Lord, help us to see what you want us to see. And I want to leave that, I want to leave that invitation wide open. I've already gone too long, and I, I, I want us to hear all different kinds of folks who, who we need to hear and see all kinds of different folks that we need to see. Um, and a lot of vulnerable people came to mind as I prepared this sermon, as I thought about who Jesus might be asking us to see. 
But I did want to just mention one more group, and that is those who are uh, same-sex attracted. Um, the church, there, there's a lot to say about this topic, but I want to say this. The church um, has looked at folks who are, who are trying to follow God well and who are committed to biblical teaching and has still, despite that, stigmatized, demonized, and ultimately monetized aggression. That they have, they have done what Jesus talked about in this passage, which is to use them to enrich themselves. And I'm not calling anyone specifically out. I'm just saying in my 30 years at Christianity today, I can, ha- I, there, I can dozens and hundreds of times I've seen it happen. Um, and there's judgment associated with that. Even as we call people to biblical living, um, to, to, to treat folks as the widows were treated and to reject, rather than use our social capital to bring people into the community of God and show people what, what love is, what family is, and to create a radically new, radically new family that cares for people who are called to lifelong singleness in the way that Israel was called to be family to the widows, we've sidelined folks and made them enemies. And it, there will be a reckoning, there will be a judgment, and we need to repent. Okay. That said, as I was preparing this, one of the questions is, who do we identify with in this gospel reading? And man, like, I think there's people here in all of these categories. There, there, are, there are folks here who are, who are going to identify with the widow, having been oppressed by religious leaders, people who have been trying to do what's right and depend on the church, people who have felt that their own righteousness doesn't matter, people who have wondered if it's all baloney. And I want to say, God sees and we in this church want, to, want him to help us see. There are people here who are going to identify with the teachers of the law, who hear this and hear the judgment and are like, oh, uh, I'm too distracted by wanting to be in the inner ring. And I haven't seen, I haven't seen the people who are in need. And I think that there's hope there to become a priest obedient to the faith. At the same time, I also know, as someone who's kind of in a professional Christian class, my reading of these things often immediately identifies with the religious leaders in the story uh, and asks, can they be saved? And one of the callings that this passage has is stop identifying with the religious leader who's oppressing and start identifying more with the widow. But all of, us, all of us are disciples. All of us are disciples of Jesus. And there's just a clear word here in this passage that Jesus says to his disciples. And that is, watch out. Watch out 
for spiritual pride and watch out on behalf of these widows. For all three of these groups, the message is God sees. And that might be scary, or that might be comforting, but God sees. And our prayer is, God, help us to see as you showed your disciples what was happening in the temple. Amen.